0: Good afternoon
1: and welcome. It's Monday, time for our Zoomer squad. As Bob noted, it is World Elder Abuse Prevention and Awareness Day. And there have been a host of developments in the long-term care file since we last talked. There were six new outbreaks of COVID-19 in nursing homes over the weekend, but restrictions on visitors are being eased for care homes that are not in outbreak. Residents can now have one visitor at a time and visitors have to be tested, have to have tested negative for COVID-19 in the last two weeks. Meanwhile, the CEO of Siena Senior Living has resigned. Siena owns five of the worst hit homes in Ontario and three have been taken over by the province. And this again raises the issue of worst Outcomes in for-profit long-term care. Overall, 16 of Ontario's 20 deadliest outbreaks have come in for-profit facilities where residents are nearly twice as likely to die of COVID-19 as those in non-profit homes. One class action suit was launched last week. And Marissa Lennox, CARP's chief advocacy officer, was testifying to politicians about a measure in an omnibus omnibus bill that would make it harder to get class actions certified. This is an important thing. So let's start there. And we bring in the Zoomer squad, David Kravitz, Vice President of Zoomer Media and Chief Marketing Officer at CARP, Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine, and Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP. Hi, everyone.
2: Hi, Hi, Libby. Hi, Libby. So,
1: Marissa, let's start with you. Tell us about this testimony.
3: Sure. So, this is an issue, It's as you mentioned, Libby, it's an omnibus bill that was introduced um, called Bill 161, and there are a number of amendments included in this bill, but there are two very specific reforms proposed um, under Ontario's Class Proceedings Act, which would fundamentally alter the test for certification of class actions, uh, really in favor of defendants, defendants like long-term care homes. Um, And so, you know, our fear, of course, is that were these two amendments to move forward, and and it's currently in the consultation phase, but were they to move forward and to pass, uh, it would make the certification of class action suits much more difficult. Uh, We do know that all Canadians are beneficiaries of class actions, uh, that all Canadians have a vested interest in ensuring that class actions continue to exist in Canada, particularly seniors. Um, our fear that, um, that if this was to pass and to move forward, that, that that would undermine that. Um, and so we testified to the Justice Committee in Ontario, um, and we've also launched a petition, and it's on our website, um, and we've already, over the course of, I think, two or three days, had over 5,000 signatures. And so that will be presented to the government um, this week. Uh, so,
1: Marissa, just before we move on to the others, do you have any sense of how those amendments got there? Was it lobbying? Was it uh, put in there by the governing PCs or by the opposition? What do you know?
3: It's unclear, uh, but we do know who the beneficiaries of this would be. And they would really be, you know, corporations, banks, long-term care homes, insurance companies who could use these changes to argue against the certification of class actions in the case of insurance companies to avoid paying out claims against businesses they insure. Um, so I think that there are a lot of stakeholder interests at stake here, and we're certainly advocating for the interests. Of seniors in this case. Okay.
1: Moving right along, David Kravitz, uh, how important do you see this, um, this uh, thing that the, this legal action that we are not aware of? And also on the weekend, the CEO of Siena resigning. She's the second senior executive in a week who had to leave. Is that uh, a sign of change or is it kind of moving the deck chairs around to try to, I don't know, um show that a very very bad situation is being
2: corrected i think that i think you the two components of your question are interconnected because i think it's going to be a little bit of both look it's going to be relatively easy for politicians to say the right things they're already saying it nobody's going to come out and make a statement that says i don't care what's happening in the long-term care homes i don't care if seniors are dying and and conditions are bad so they're all going to say the right thing and there's going to be a lot of optical uh, optics that are you know moving pieces around people getting fired people resigning some of that may be substantively good the test will be once you deal with the most outrageous abuses particularly I'm going back to the army report Say, okay we got rid of cockroaches uh, in the halls we got rid of bad food is that a win isn't that what should have been there all along? So once they clear up the, the easy-to-fix optics that everybody agrees on, or that at least they know how to say the right things, and maybe they chop a few heads to make it look like action's being taken, then the test will be, and this is where CARP is going to be we'll focused, like a laser to make sure that as the headlines fade, the substance does not fade. So what are you doing really to fix it once you get rid of the more overt, uh, more outrageous uh, problems?
1: Peter, what's your view?
4: Um, the the lawyers I spoke to when I did a piece on uh, nursing home lawsuits, I asked them about this, um, you know, lawsuit shield uh, legislation, which um, I think... I think 15 states in the U.S. had passed it, and, and others were considering it. And they sort of said, um, "Yeah, the government might try it, but it's never going to stand up in court." So, I assume if that bill is passed, that there will be a challenge right away, and um, it may not see the light of day. You know, so that, that that's one thing to consider. And, uh, and
1: sorry, Peter, do you have uh, any sense of where these amendments came from? Somebody saw them in the U.S. and decided that it would be a good deal here? Well,
4: you know, in, in the U.S., in in an article I read, and now I don't want to say it was the Times, but I think it was um, the the uh, nursing home themselves were writing the legislation uh, on behalf of the government. So lawyers for the nursing home were, were putting in the language of these um, lawsuit shield laws. So, um, I, you know... Th- I, I spoke to two lawyers, one who is involved in a lawsuit and one who is just an observer. And both of them said, even if the government tries, it won't stand up. So uh, there's that to hang on to.
3: Can I just add one thing, Libby? Last week, you mentioned Siena Senior Living and the CEO resigning. An executive was also fired, Joanne Dykman, from Siena Senior Living, for accusing seniors and their families of being, quote, blood-sucking class action lawsuit people, end quote. So I think, you know, given the blatant disregard for human condition detailed in the military report, you know, CARP, our members, seniors really across the province are thankful that we have a legal system that allows for individuals and families to seek justice and compensation for their loss and their suffering.
1: Yeah, it's uh, really quite something. Now, meanwhile, uh, there was a trend that that outbreaks were being contained, but we have six new outbreaks over the weekend, and this, as other nursing homes are going to start easing restrictions.
2: David? Well, it's true, and and I think that's where the Balancing Act is going to come in. This is probably one of the most complicated situations we've seen because we have on the one hand many sort of fixable outrageous things that should never have been allowed to happen in the first place and would be outrageous even without coronavirus then we have a virus that under the best of circumstances uh disproportionately affects uh, older people particularly because they have so many underlying comorbidities and in a hospital setting, in a totally isolated setting, they may still uh, uh, die from this. And then you have that blend of some homes are modern, some are not, some are good, some are bad. And if you shut it all down, and if you if you sort of wipe out that industry, uh, what have you got to uh, replace it with when you've got five, six or longer months waiting lists now? And, and a shortage of beds in the existing inadequate system. So you've got to juggle all these pieces. And I think it's going to be very, very tricky, and I, I think it's a topic we're going to be looking at for a long time that's never going to quite settle.
1: Marissa, what do you see about the easing of restrictions? There, there are criticisms on both ends, you know, some yeah. people saying it's too soon, some people saying it is not enough. We yeah. know that family members, are, they're huge in, in aiding in the care of residents, right. and that's part of the reason that they were so neglected in this is that their families weren't in there.
3: That's right. And, you know, when families were sheltering in place um, because we were being told to by the province, we had care workers going in and out of these homes, and they were really uh, the ones that were spreading it um, in these facilities. So, but to David's point, you know, there are a number of vulnerabilities within these homes that make it difficult to um, not only... Um, identify an outbreak early enough, but then to control the spread of it. And that includes everything from um, care workers being properly equipped with protective equipment to many of the homes um, in Ontario and across the country, having four-bedroom wards to prevention, infection, and control measures not being put in place. So I think it is a balancing act. I do have to say, though, there's no doubt in my mind that the easing of caregivers, family caregivers, going into these homes to be able to see their loved ones was the right move. Um, we know that people have been impacted enormously by the isolation that they felt during COVID-19. And we also know that family caregivers play such a critical role in a senior's care plan, um, and they lost that. Um, and we kind of lost sight of that as well, because we were entirely focused on this virus spreading throughout these homes and we lost that sight of that aspect of this problem and so i think it was the right decision by the government and provided their appropriate measures in place to ensure that these people okay have been tested they don't have a fever um maybe they come and they take their loved one for a walk and they're able to to do that in a safe way then that is the right way to ease restrictions in long-term care i do agree with the government's With the government's move on
1: this one. I want to give the numbers out. I really like to hear from people if they're planning to see a friend or a loved one, and and if they're okay with the fact that you have to get tested before you can do that. And uh, do you think it's enough? And just what you think of the situation here, because we're still seeing Outbreaks. You know, this long-term care issue is just getting more and more complicated. The numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. I'm talking to the Zoomer squad. We're talking about a host of developments in the long-term care file. And as of a little later this week, uh, you will be able to visit someone in long-term care. There are even some... Uh, nursing homes that will allow two visitors at a time if it is outside, you'll have to be tested and you'll have to keep getting tested because you will have to show that you have a negative test within the last two weeks if you want to see this person. That's quite a commitment
4: for yeah, somebody. Yeah, I, I was gonna say that. Like, do, do you get a piece of paper that says you're all clear when you get these tests? Like, I, I haven't had a test, so I'm not sure.
1: Uh, I, that's a good question. Very good question. I don't know how that's going to happen. Does uh, do Marissa? Do you have a? Uh, how are they going to enforce this?
3: Well, to be ans- to answer your question, I'm I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> I don't know either.
4: I, the the language says the the visitor has to attest they have been. Oh, tested. okay.
3: Well, that means yeah, they so aren't going to enforce it. So it may be honor system.
4: It's honor system. It looks like yeah.
3: But well, I would hope that the people going in and out of these homes. Would want to to be tr- to be honest about about something like that, given how how life- threatening it can be for people in this environment.
1: Well, right. it, it's interesting because uh, it, later in the week we're going to be talking to a geni- geriatrician who thinks that this is not the right way to go, that it's really too restrictive, and uh, he thinks that the whole system is really open to abuse, and I guess that's why if if all you have to do is attest that you're fine, I don't know. I mean, you're right. I'm sure people want to, they wouldn't want to be, you know, the cause of someone being infected, but still.
2: But but not to to throw another monkey wrench at the whole process of uh, testing, um, what it is, what the readout is, whether it's valid. Uh, There's reports now of people having tested negative that test positive later on. there's the whole antibody thing where now they're saying that the number of people who have been infected uh, where it came and it went is much greater than they earlier thought. I understand if you know you have it, you've been tested positive and you decide to, um, you know, run the gauntlet and try to get into a nursing home, obviously they're going to stop you. But the number of people who perceive that they don't have it might have even tested negatively it's not going to be a full solution. It's not foolproof. I think we just have to realize that. It's
3: not foolproof, and it needs to be together with a number of other measures that are that are taken to ensure the safety of residents. Remember, someone could test negative one day, uh, and then the very next day come into contact with COVID and, and be positive for it and not know. So testing is limited, for sure. Uh, let's
1: take a call from Natalie in Scarborough. Hi, Natalie. Hi. Um, Good afternoon.
5: I am about to set up an appointment to go see my mother in a long-term care home. Mm.
1: Great. Uh, You must be really happy that you're able to do that. I am.
5: I am. I got tested about three and a half weeks ago, I believe, um, which was negative. So now I have to coordinate it, because it takes four or five days for the results to come back.
1: I think the results, well, the theory is what we're being told is that the results are coming a lot quicker these well, days. Well, I don't know. Three weeks ago, it took
5: almost five days. Wow. Yeah. This was at uh, North York General. Okay. So I'm going to coordinate this. I know they're going to do it outside. What, the visit or the test? The visit. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm still a little nervous, quite honestly, about even – I don't know how they're going to get us to the outside. Hopefully, there's no way of going in. I know there's a door inside the front hallway to go to the gazebo in the back, but I certainly don't want to do that. Uh Uh-huh. So, but I – Really want to see my mom, so yeah. I'm I'm gonna. How, how old is she, and how she's is she going to be a hundred years old oh, next month? Oh wow,
1: wow! wow. Birthday, yeah! Congratulations, and she's been well. Oh yeah, yep, she's been well. Thank God. Thank so, goodness. She must miss you.
5: Oh, she does. But you know, I call her every day. Oh, got okay. Got a phone in her room, so she's. We talk all the time.
1: That's and good. I'm saying I'm knocking on whatever uh, the substance here is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jeremy's knocking on his forehead. But
5: and, and uh, has the
4: uh, has the nursing home been helpful in, oh yeah. in arranging this?
5: Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're really, really excellent, and um, they really will do anything for their the people in the home.
4: That's good. And there's been no outbreak in that home.
5: Well, there was.
4: Oh, there was.
5: There was. I think ten to fourteen people died. Oh. Wow. Yeah. But they shut it down immediately, but still, you know, it came in. So thank God she was okay, and everybody's okay now,
1: and uh, hopefully it doesn't come back. Hopefully. We, we saw on the weekend, unfortunately, six new outbreaks in long-term care homes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Natalie, that sounds great. Um, We're happy for you that you're able to see your mom and and a
2: happy birthday.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. And please call back after you see her and let us know how it all went. I will. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Natalie. Have a good day. Okay. Bye. Bye. bye -bye. Okay. You know, we hear all the horror stories. It's it's nice to hear you know a
3: better uh, something better well but 14 people did dine at home but no i mean you could hear the the joy in her voice uh, the excitement of being able to see her mom and uh, you know i think that that's so important and and i'm glad that we're moving in this direction and that the government is taking steps to to ensure uh you know the the safety of residents is paramount while also, allowing residents to see their family because it's just such a critical part of their care plan, as I mentioned.
1: Uh, does any do either of you or any of you think that it's actually too restrictive these rules?
4: Well, um, the the rules can be these, these are sort of guidelines. Like the homes can can put in um, uh, stricter rules. I think to uh, you know as long as they, they have conditions beyond what the government has listed, they, they can they can uh, shut it down a bit tighter and not allow visitors. So and I think that's one of the concerns is that the, these blanket rules, uh, these rules that are supposed to be blanket, um, can be interpreted by the homes, uh, you know, depending on their specific uh, experiences.
2: And the space and the size and the yeah, opportunity was, to yeah. congregate. I mean, if I have a huge outdoor garden where, you know, multiple people can... Can congregate at safe distances from each other, Uh, you know, they're wearing masks, if I have a much smaller space, um, I can, I don't know this, but I can imagine circumstances in which there'd be a waiting list to to make the visit at all. Mm -hmm. I don't think they can suddenly say we've got every single person in here can have a visitor all at the same time. I bet you there's going to be some restrictions on that in individual homes that don't have the space to accommodate uh, an influx of even one person per family if, those in, if that influx occurs all at the same moment.
4: Yeah, and homes that have managed so far to avoid an outbreak must be a little bit worried about this policy, you know, that, you know, they've been cleaned so far and then now they're letting in a whole... Range of potential people who may ha- may bring it into the home, and then they'll have an outbreak. So,
1: well, I, I'm I'm thinking they're probably relieved that they're going to catch a little bit of a break, and, well, and families sure, will too, take yeah. off some of the pressure. Yeah, though adding some of the
3: pressure because when families are there, they they watch. That's true. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I think I think it'll I think it'll, it'll be very individualized too. I mean, I think it'll be up to the home to determine. Okay, what do they think is safe, and and what are they comfortable moving forward with? And, um, you know, if that means, you know, limiting families even to, to visit their loved ones outdoors, maybe they take them for an outside walk, um, then so be it. But, but at the end of the day, um, if, it, if it enables a family to be able to see a loved one who they haven't had an opportunity to see over the course of the last three four months, then that's so, only a good be willing
4: thing. to put up with the restrictions then. Yeah. Uh,
3: does,
1: do, do any of you think that it should be, you know, not as restrictive as it is?
3: No, I think we need to recognize that um, a second wave is coming, if not here already, and that this virus hasn't gone away and and that we do need to continue to take precautions to keep people safe and that the vulnerabilities that existed in long-term care homes Before are still present today. We haven't eliminated the narrow halls. We haven't eliminated the shortage of staffing. We haven't eliminated the four bedroom wards in a lot of these homes. So those things still exist. Um, It's just a matter of how do we move forward knowing that, knowing that the government has to fix those things, yes, but can we move forward in a way um, that allows families to see their loved ones um, in spite of those things still being present. And,
2: and I think the restrictions are part of the learning the same as if you if you trace the beginning of the coronavirus and the evolution of medical advice um, having nothing to do with with either nursing homes or not or not like the general population as they've learned more about it, the advice has uh, morphed. Some of the advice we got at the beginning has been directly contradicted. Uh, there's still dispute about whether you can pick it up from contact of surface versus uh, breathing. So it's evolved. I think the same is going to happen here. They're going to start this way, then they'll you know they'll take their foot off the brakes gradually a bit more as it as it plays out. And I think that's absolutely to be expected. I don't think based on what we know and don't know, they could have come up with uh, a better formula based on what we know now and i think they're going to try it and then they'll they'll loosen it or tighten it depending on uh uh, you know what happens going forward and i really don't i really don't know any other way they could have done it
1: okay to uh wrap things up it's world elder abuse awareness day marissa uh, is the situation worse because of covid and and what are your thoughts on that
3: it is. It existed uh, before COVID. We knew that one in, well, a number of reputable organizations refer to the the number one in 10 older adults are victimized by elder abuse every year. Experts often say it's actually closer to one in six because of how silent the crime is, um, how it, so often these cases go unreported. Um, as many as two in three people with dementia uh, suffer abuse. Um, when we've surveyed our own members, one in three say they know someone who's fallen victim. So these are, you know, unacceptable numbers. Um, but I think COVID-19, no question, has heightened this and has, has made the need to protect vulnerable seniors um, all the more urgent.
4: Peter? Yeah, you know, um, we've been hearing a lot about systemic racism recently. Um, I, I think we should also talk about systemic ageism. Because if you look at the numbers in any province, any, anywhere in the world, anywhere where there's been outbreaks, um, people living in long-term care have been affected by far and large the most, uh, uh, close, close to 70%, you know. And, and just not enough talk has been, uh, none of mention has been made of this, not enough emergency orders have gone in place. We've just sort of accepted the fact that it's killed a lot of older people. And, and that to me is systemic ageism.
2: David. I worry, I've, I actually extend what Peter said, because
4: uh, a year ago we wouldn't have ever
2: thought we would do a show where the topic of boomer remover even existed. Right. Attempts mm. to rationalize it, and I don't mean not fix it, I mean, yeah, these people shouldn't have died, the homes should be better, we should make better facilities, but we're starting to see a dialogue about what can society afford anyway, what do we owe these people anyway? Is it just more money? Maybe we can't really fix it. And what I worry about, is, you know, looking forward, we're going to see uh, an 85% increase in the 75-plus population within the next dozen to 15 years. We're going to need double the number of long-term care beds using the present system. And the fastest-growing age group in the country is centenarians, So if the society is saying, wait a minute, we may not have the resources to look after elders, and who cares, it doesn't really matter because they've used up their life anyway. These are attitudes that would have been unthinkable a year ago, and COVID has flushed them out into the open. And that's what I think elder abuse is going to become. I don't think it's going to become just assaults and and frauds and scams, as lamentable as they are. I think it's going to be a whole agonizing dialogue about... um, you know, can we, should we? Maybe it would be better if they weren't around. And that's oh. that's very scary to me.
1: Very scary we'll indeed. That, yeah. Thank you so much to our Zoomer squad. We'll talk again soon and see how these things are playing out. Thanks, David Kravitz, Peter Mugridge, and Marissa Lennox. Thanks, Libby.
4: Thank
0: you. Thanks, Libby. Okay, bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.